Hello there and welcome back to the Chat Shit, Get Fit, The Fitness News, where we unpack the week's biggest news in health and fitness. I'm Bill and as always, I'm joined by Tom. Good evening. Why did you like put both hands around the microphone to say that? I don't know. <laughs> I just felt <laughs> compelled to do it. <laughs> Bloody hell, I wish you were not going to say that. Anyway, anyway, this week we take a closer look at at-home body fat scales. Are they even accurate? Fitness testing kids, is it wrong? Adherence to aerobic and muscle strengthening activity guidelines, it's not looking good. And do you need to decolonize your diet? Let's get into this week's fitness news. I'm really struggling to keep a straight face at fitness testing kids. Is it wrong? I don't know why. It just sounds like uh, I just it just sounds like such like a it almost sounds like a brass is you know news <laughs> yeah, headline. Yeah. yeah, fitness testing kids. Like sheep are they inherently evil? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you'll find out later. Uh, I, I promise, guy. It's not it's not as sinister as it sounds. Uh, maybe it will be. Who knows? Right. So let's get into it. Uh, we'll give you a quick update first. Our uh, Patreon producer, Colleen, she is still in Newcastle and she is still safe. We will continue to keep you posted on that in the uh, coming weeks until she comes back. Although she did get stuck at a car garage, I noticed on her Instagram, because something happened with her, with her car and then they were closed. And then she has to walk back without a jacket in the pouring rain, in the northern rain. So I said she's still safe. She's probably got hypothermia. But once again, we will keep you updated. Hello, Colleen. Hope you're well. That northern rain does hit different. It does hit different. Speaking of a change of weather, Tom, happy December. Yes, happy December. Wowee. In fact, I'm looking out my window right now, and bearing in mind we're recording this in the evening, hmm. there's one house with Christmas lights up. <laughs> one house. If I squint my eyes, there might be a second house. However, I just think that they've got a very bright light bulb. <laughs> really? In fact, that's yeah, that's got to be a really bright light bulb. In fact, wow. I think the house with the Christmas decorations, they might, uh, sorry, the Christmas lights, they might just have a blue light all year round. Maybe. Maybe, or maybe they've got a red infrared light because they've got their own at home sauna. Oh, we could have fucking phoned that in last time, couldn't yeah, we? Yeah, infrared sauna at home. Would have been a good way to worm into the, uh, into, into the long gone topic. But, Tom, it sounds like your street's not very festive, but we are going to make this the next few episodes as festive as possible. And we are now going to tease our Christmas special. If you've been here around before, we do a Christmas special every year. This time, we do a little bit different. Me and Tom are going to be heading to the BrewDog podcast studios in London to record it in person and hopefully enjoy some BrewDog beverages. We've got a lot to pack in, though, because we've only got an hour, because we've only got the uh, <laughs> the studio for an hour. So who knows what we're going to talk about. One thing we will try and do, probably, is a Q&A. So if you want to ask us some questions... You know, it doesn't have to be Christmas. It could be any topic at all, anything. Get them in. And the best place to probably do that is on our Instagram. If you're not following us on Instagram, it is at chat shit get fit podcast. Um, or it's in the description of the podcast. You can click a little link for that. Um, but head over there because we will start doing some polls where you can fire questions in and we will answer them on the Christmas special, which we are recording on the 12th of December, I believe, which will be coming out on the following Monday, which is like the 17th, I think. It's very exciting, is it, Tom? Very exciting. In a studio. I mean, I, I wanted to record it in like a Toby Carvery, but you opted for the studio. <laughs> Toby Carvery? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Because I'll be eating vegetables and potatoes. I mean, uh, oh shit, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare for your lot. <laughs> oh, your lot, fucking hell. You people. <laughs> all, right, Tommy, all right, Tommy Robinson. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, fucking vegans, string them all up. Like. <laughs> yeah. Send them home. <laughs> I don't know what home would be, pastures. 
Yeah, that's just me getting uh, the, 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 Chris, uh, the Christmas spirit. Yeah, <laughs> the vegans. I'm just going to clarify, don't do that in case you make a snippet of that and put it out of context. Oh, 100% going to do that now. The context being that I'm not serious. Yeah, Tom hates vegans. <laughs> That'll be the video title. <laughs> put that on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Christmas special. We're looking forward to it. It's always good fun. Uh, and it's a good way to sort of round out the year before we go on a break. So yeah, head over to our Instagram. Or you can send us an email. Our email is also in the show notes of the podcast. Just drop us an email with a question and we will do our best to answer them as well as do other mad shit on that special. But you're here for the fitness news. So we will go straight into it. We'll start with a brand new study on at-home body fat scales. And the question is, are they accurate? Because there's many of them out there. And when you're on your weight slash fat loss journey, it can sometimes get a little bit complicated when you use just traditional scales because they just measure your weight, whether that's kilos, pounds, or stones, whatever. Um, and you're always asking yourself, okay, if I lost weight, is this water weight that I've lost? Have I gained water weight? Have I had a really heavy meal? Has that caused it? Or even muscle, for example, a lot of people, when they go on a weight loss journey, they'll be at the gym, so they might have gained muscle. And that also that adds onto the weight. So what people do is they get hold of these Gucci bits of kit known as body fat scales. And what these things claim to do is to accurately measure your body fat percentage. Now, this is obviously going to be more useful than a cassette of conventional scales. That is, Tom, if it is accurate. Mm. Last week, we got a paper come out, and it's called Assessing the Reliability and Cross-Sectional and Longitudinal Validity of 15 Bioelectrical Impedance Analysis Devices, in layman's terms, a fat scale. <laughs> so we'll go through this paper, and obviously we'll go through our thoughts as well, but what they did was they tested 14 at-home body fat scales uh, and they did it alongside a laboratory-grade body fat scale as well. So it used the same general technology, which is bioelectrical impedance analysis. And they used something called a gold method, a gold standard method, the four-compartment model, which we'll come on to. First thing I think we should probably do, Tom, is explain how these fucking devices actually measure fat because I actually thought this a little while ago. I wish you to think, how on earth does me standing on a set of scales measure how much fat I've got? So mm. what it does is it uses, as you've probably heard me say a few times now, bioelectrical impedance analysis. It works by injecting small, imperceptible <laughs> electrical currents into your body through electrodes that are in contact with your skin. <laughs> it sounds quite... It doesn't sound pleasant when you no. say injecting. Yeah, no, it doesn't it's, sound... It's basically like, yeah, it's like a two... Well, it's usually like a, a two-point contact system where basically your, your feet are on like a... If it's like a set of scales, it's like a set of pads that you can hold other feet as well, on, can't you? Yeah, and then your your hands on something mm. as well. So yeah, it sends a, it sends like an electric pulse from your feet mm. all through your body, basically. Yeah, and what it just does is it basically detects like anything that is like it detects your fat free mass, basically. Apparently, yeah. anyway, yeah, well, it's because the way it actually does that, like if you want to get a bit all fucking geeky with it, is it, it the scale can basically estimate the resistance to the electrical flow they send through your body. Um, yeah. And the information they use in the machines, these scales, they've got like an equation or like a series of equations uh, and that will estimate your body components such as your body fluids, your body composition. Yeah. Um, and it's normally done with a two compartment method, uh, model, sorry, which is obviously we'll talk about the four one in a minute, which basically means that your body weight is split into one of two compartments, fat mass, and fat-free mass. So this allows you. This allows them to calculate your body fat percentage, the percentage of your weight that is fat mass. So that's how they basically come up with this little number saying that you've got XYZ percentage body yeah. fat. I just want to clarify as well, that even though I said that most of them have like a, a two-point contact system, like where your feet and your hands are both on something, you can get ones that are like one or the other as well. So you get some, I think it's like, what is it, uh, the Fitbit one? where you can only uh, step on it. But then you've also got just like a handheld one, which you just hold on to. 
Uh, both sound terrible, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, the idea is as long as you've got contact, skin contact, you'll yeah. be okay. Well, I want to just note something here that the, reso- uh, the researchers said, and this is a, a quote. BIA technology sometimes gets a pretty bad rap. While there are certainly some BIA devices that perform very poorly, including some in our study, there are others that may be useful in some contexts when interpreted appropriately. It is also important to note that BIA devices vary widely, uh, widely in their cost, physical form, and complexity. They can range from $20 to $25,000. Use single or multiple frequencies, use electrodes that contact the hands, feet, or both, and use equations that are very uh, very well um, validated or rather poorly constructed. So basically what they're saying there is, is there's a lot of variance between these bits of kit. Um, yeah. And you've got to be, that's hence why this study was done because they wanted to see, okay, look, what is the difference between all these different products that have different price ranges, different methods, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'll quickly rattle out the scales they tested and their price point. So at the end of this, you can go away and make a, a more informed decision. You've got the Renfo, which is $23, the Wise, which is W-Y-Z-E, $34. WW by Conair, which is Weight Watchers. I mean, that just... <laughs> well, I hear Weight Con Watchers, but Weight Watchers by Conair. Weight Watchers is a fucking nightmare anyway. And then you've got Conair Med. <laughs> it just sounds like... <laughs> Good movie though, Conair. Yeah, great movie, yeah. Not if it was made by Weight Watchers. Anyway, that one's $35. That'd be a good crossover. <laughs> Conair got, and Weight Watchers. <laughs> you've, you've then got Inefifit, I think it is, $40. Vita Goods, Form Fit, $54. Tanita, UM-081, $65. That's a popular brand, yeah. Yeah, t- there's a few of them on this list, actually. Uh, Seca Sensor, 804 $80. Withings Body Cardio, $134. Tanita BC554 Iron Man Elite Series, well, we, $160. Omron HBF516, $170. Tanita BC568 Inner Scan, $200. Omron HBF 306, $299. InBody H2ON, $349. Hawana, which is currently unavailable. And then the Seca MBCA 515-514 laboratory-grade device, $11,350. Right. Can you go over all those again, but uh, translate them to British pounds now? <laughs> Fucking Every hell. single one. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Every up here all day. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, like some of those brands there, uh, not including Weight Watchers, like um, might sound familiar to you. So yeah, Omron and uh, Tanner are the most popular ones that I've uh, come across in my career. Some gyms also tend to stock Tanner ones, like uh, some um, like council led gyms, etc. I've seen quite a few Tanner machines. I've seen, you know, I've seen actually. I've seen the I've seen Virgin ones in gyms before. Have you seen them? The big booths. Yeah. So you do get uh, other brands. So there's one called FitQuest as well. Right. I believe it's now gone bunk, the company. But you can yeah. So in some of these like uh, these big big name gyms, you do get to see like off brand ones. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Anyway, so basically they tested these scales. Ones I mentioned in three ways. Um, I'll go for a simplified version. If you do want the full details of how they did the tests, the study will be of course in the show notes. So reliability, this basically refers to how consistent the results were from multiple tests, um, particularly when nothing just changed between the two tests. Um, so for every participant, they performed two separate back-to-back tests to see how stable the results were. Okay, and participants, which is really important actually, participants were repositioned between tests. So basically just wanted to see was if they did a test literally straight off the other one, is there a difference in the number? 
obviously if there was, that's obviously worrying. They then did cross-sectional validity. Cross-sectional just means at a single point in time, and then validity refers to how close the values from the body fat scales were to the values of their gold standard method, the four-compartment model, which we will come on to. They're basically just comparing it to their gold standard seeing how, how closely it links to there. So the cross-sectional validity can be viewed as how accurate a scale is compared to their best method at a single point in time. So that's cross-sectional validity. And then we've got longitudinal validity, where basically that tells us how similar the changes in body fat detected by the at-home scales over time were as compared to the changes detected by their gold standard method. So instead of being a single point in time, this is over a longer period of time. What I'll do now, Tom, is I've mentioned it a few times, the gold standard method these researchers keep banging on about. Well, this model separates the body into four compartments, fat, water, bone, and everything else, which is like made up of protein, minerals, carbohydrates. Sometimes this is called the residual compartment, if you look at papers a bit more closely. Um, this is obviously some very high-tech kit. <laughs> You're not going to get this in your local pure gym, tested your fucking bone weight, <laughs> your fucking protein minerals. <laughs> fucking oh, you do a good job to get that. And something I was interested actually about this, uh, and I quote, there were several devices that appeared to have built-in methods to prohibit body fat values from differing on consecutive um, assessments. That goes back to that um, reliability test they did. That is, a few devices produce what seemed to be impossibly low precision error values. So in our rankings, these devices were subject to a penalty because there was no way to know reliability performance truly was. Basically, what that means is the machines have got a fail-safe. It won't give you a massive difference between the two tests. So even if there was actually going to be a big difference between doing it straight after one another, they've got a fail-safe to stop it from happening. So there's no real way if it's actually legit or if it's just the, the, electri uh, the electronics cutting you off. A bit cheeky, actually, isn't it? I mean, look, without, without spoiling my final thoughts on this, like I'm a bit neutral when it comes to uh, these kind of scales simply because they, they can give differing results. Yeah. Depend on yeah. I'm not going to spoil it. Actually, I'm going to wait to the end. <laughs> wait to the end. <laughs> um, so here are some final points on this study and what it should mean to you. So some action actionable takeaways. Some products obviously are going to perform better than others. It's a test. So what that means is that not all home body fat scales you come across should be viewed as equivalent products. The top three products were the Omron. HBF 516, which is $170. In second place was the Tanita BC 568 Innerscan at $200. And in third place, which I think is probably going to be the most appropriate for a commercial user because of its price point and the fact it's in the top, top three, is the Tanita UM081 at only $65. All the body fat scales, including those uh, top three there, demonstrated enough error that you should still be cautious when interpreting the results of an individual test, as well as changes detected by the scale over time. So to that end then, if you are using these body fat scales, it'll probably be best to consider the results you get alongside other metrics. So that means like your body weight overall, your waist circumference, your exercise performance, your general mood, so how you feel in your diet and your um, how you are in the gym. Um, so using multiple metrics is probably going to give you a better sense of how your body is actually changing over time, as opposed to just relying on one simple metric that is body fat percentage yeah. um, which is mainly you know it's mainly aesthetic isn't it so it's not it doesn't really it's not the be all and end all if you feel like absolute dog shit I'd argue that just because your body fat percentage is getting lower you're not being very successful so yeah mm. multiple metrics so as Tom was saying there he says a bit neutral I th my point on this would be is it's a good device if as I said used alongside other metrics if I'm being honest I don't like 
recommending people to use scales too much because there's a likelihood of becoming obsessed with the numbers. Once again, I'm a bit neutral in that as well, actually. Uh, sounds like I'm sitting on the fence today, playing it very safe. So look, I, I've switched I've switched between different crowds in the past where I've been like, yeah, look, you need to track yourself every day, whether it be electrical impedance or weight scales, etc. versus, oh, it's probably not a good idea because, yeah, you get obsessed with it. Um, for me, I think it depends on the person. Sure. I think it does depend on the mm. person because you, I mean, if if the person is, you kind of have the idea that they're not going to become obsessive with it, mm-hmm. then actually I'd recommend that you do weigh yourself every day simply so you can see the average. And so actually you can get confident with knowing that just because the scale's gone high on one day, it's not the end of the world. It just means that, well, it could be anything. You might have had a succulent Chinese meal the night before <laughs> or two days ago. It doesn't mm. mean you've gained like a kilo of fat in a single day. Yeah. But if you was only weighing yourself, let's say, twice a week, what if it just so happens you manage to weigh yourself on that one day where it's at a high weight and you mm. think, oh, God, I've failed. But if you've been weighing yourself every day, you would have seen, well, actually, no, I've not gained a kilo in two days' time. It just happens that's my one day that I'm at a really high weight. Maybe I'm holding on to extra water, whatever. Yeah, okay. Or maybe I had a high amount of salt. But then you've been weighing yourself two days after that, and you've seen that, actually, no, it has dropped. Okay, yeah, cool. But obviously, if someone has like tendencies to become obsessed with it, that it actually deteriorates their well-being, yep. yeah, then that's a different, that's a different case. Um, just I to clarify, actually, I, I have the Omron model that was rated highly in this. Oh, the top one. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I, I actually bought that It's probably like six years old now. Um, and I still use it every now and again to this day as well. Not not Funny enough, though, only for as a set of scales, yeah. not for actually measuring anything else. Just use it as a set of scales. I actually um, use, you don't I do use agree. The, the fat bit about it, no? No, I used to. I used to. My own personal experience was that... It would fluctuate in the same day under the same circumstances. Oh, really? But it would yes. only be like a little minute amount. Okay, that's not too bad then. It's good to get a trend. It would be a, a minute amount. If you did it every day, you get a good trend, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the way this one's used? Is this the one with the handles, Tom? Sorry, because on the picture I can see yes. here. It's like you, sat, you hold like the whole thing in front of you like this, and it's got like a little twiddly cord. It's got a cable attached to it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's like foot pads on it. Um, so when you first get it, you actually set up a profile on there. So you yeah, put in yeah. your age, you put in your height, and that's what you need to do from then on because obviously it's going to oh, quite automatically good, do your weight anyway and your body fat. Oh, mate, so it is you, quite you can, good. Um, it, I'm reading here, it, says it can store up to four individual profile settings so the whole family can track their progress with 90 days of memory. That's actually quite good. For like three months, you get a three-month trend there for your whole family, basically just seeing how your fat body percentage. So you've just used a key word there, and this is where I think that they can be useful in a sense that over time you can see a trend. But I think it's important how you actually use the machines. This is all of the mach- all of these in general, no matter what the brand is. Yeah. Too many times I see PTs, including at my place of work, where they just get their client for random days, sorry, random times of the day, and just hop them on there. Oh, look at that! You've dropped a ten percent body fat in the space of two weeks. No, you haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yeah. Or oh, uh, things have gone wrong here. Since I last saw you, you've actually gained, you know, five percent body fat. Mm. No, no, you haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't. Mm. If you're going to use it, just like a set of scales, you want to use it first thing in the morning, preferably, you know, before you've had anything to drink or mm. eat, and after you've been to the bathroom. Because remember, what are we measuring here? What's it going to be affected by? Fluid. 
Yeah, fluid, yeah. Which you'll get through food and water and holding on to your bathroom as well. Mm. But if you're a PT and you've got a client coming at four o'clock and they've already had lunch, they've already had a hundred coffees, describing myself here, or they've already drunk loads of water, they've already had loads of salt throughout the day, it's going to vary wildly. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So that's my issue is uh, PT use it as a selling point, mm. but they have no idea most. Now, I'm obviously I'm generalizing here. But most PTs I see that use it have no idea how the fuck it works or what affects it. So it's just all over the place. Yeah. But it can be useful. Yeah. It can be useful. As I said, I think like to summarize that point, it's a good it's good to use alongside other metrics. Don't use it as a sole yeah. instrument. Use it as something to help you out with other metrics you're measuring. But if you are going to use it, use it under the same circumstances. Every time. So yeah, first time in the morning, mm-hmm. before food, <clears throat> after the bathroom. Yeah completely bollock naked <laughs> yeah and obviously the three we mentioned there will probably be good places to go because obviously they come out on top on this paper which is a uh, they've gone balls deep so to speak into each of these scales so yeah go for one of those Okay, we'll uh, move on to the next piece of news, and this is going to be a bit of a heavy one. Although we did joke about it at the start, and that is fitness testing kids. Is it wrong? So we've. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to say something there. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just it's a it's a controversial one, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, you just yeah. know that you're going to get those old and bold types mm. that are like uh, back in my day. Yeah, it's going to kick off, isn't it? Um, so basically, what we've yeah. got here, guys. We've got an article from the Independent uh, in Ireland. Okay, so bear in mind that is based in Ireland. It's obviously different wherever you are located. They do have kids there, though. <laughs> they do have kids there. I did actually get in touch with uh, my cousin who's a teacher, and she got a, she's got like a little teacher fucking WhatsApp group probably. They probably all got amongst it. So I got some good responses from there as well. So we'll get some UK-based stuff as well. Do they slag off children in it? They blatantly do. Now, honest to God, uh, I know someone that's a teacher. Oh, no, sorry, someone that used to be a teacher. And, uh, yeah, she always used to bitch it to me about the kids she taught. Mm. it's hard yeah. not to though isn't it because I suppose you've got to put on such a plain like the whole day you've got to put on a face where you're like yeah. being really nice to them even though they're little shit you've got to be nice to them otherwise you get sacked obviously so I suppose you want to vent outside of the workplace I mean I'm speaking as a parent but I can guarantee you now that if you do have children somewhere out there as a teacher that's probably once thought about lobbing a boot at them or something anyway back to uh, back to fitness testing kids um, so this topic of uh, the article is actually titled Schools Told to be Cautious with Fitness Bleep Tests of Pupils in PE Class. Now, I've already mentioned it's going to be a controversial topic. Basically, what happened was in Ireland, the new Department of Education advice seeks to avoid having students pushed needlessly to the point of exhaustion and also wants to ensure that pupils with lower fitness levels are not discouraged. And apparently there is limited use of tests such as sit and reach and standing broad jump. This is apparently allowed for primary pupils. However, maximal aerobic testing should not be used other than in exceptional circumstances such as ethically approved research. Brilliant. So <laughs> I want to know what that I want to know what the criteria for that is. What's the criteria for ethically approved research that you can smash kids? You can just thrash kids around the fucking playground. <laughs> what mm, would be yeah. what was it? How could that be ethical? Like to the itch of their life. Just <laughs> Yeah. How can we ethically beast the absolute shit out of these kids? <laughs> yeah. Fucking like, I don't know, you have to go to Harrogate, find out what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My old best effort, fucking go. <laughs> yeah. You, you you say that, but uh back in my day. It was pretty much like that. Yeah, back in my day, fucking hell. I can hear people say that now. Anyway, if we then move on to secondary school, so post-primary, uh, the department 
uh, so this new Department of Education is discouraging the use of whole class physical fitness testing to assess who is the fastest or strongest, etc. Um, it says these activities are demotivating for students whose physical levels are low. Now, as I said, I got in touch with uh, my cousin who's a teacher. She's got amongst her little teacher friends to get me back some info. We'll go through all this and we'll give our points as well. It's actually really interesting points here. So apparently, essentially, they all concluded they discouraged the bleep test um, you know they wouldn't they wouldn't approve of that being done in a class which is fair enough and here's some more points we don't do it in our primary school and none of us have worked in a primary school where it's done there's, there's a huge range of experiences among them apparently but this doesn't mean it doesn't happen obviously can't confirm or deny bleep test specific yes it may measure fitness but when you think of pre-teen or teen chances are people don't actually work to their full potential because quite frankly it can be humiliating for those who aren't as fit slash don't enjoy it or aren't competitive or equally you'll always have that peer pressure and you know who the super keen fit people are you know like the absolute athletes and they might stop early because they don't want to be singled out or compete they don't have all the eyes on them basically just because you're fit doesn't mean you necessarily want everyone to be watching you doing a bleep test all by you so um, and essentially what they said was they think fitness testing as a whole group is a bit humiliating before we move on to the next bit about what they're kind of doing now in PE, I think we should break that down, Tom, because there's a few points there. There'll be people saying, oh, kids are getting weak, they're getting soft, they should be, you know, getting a bit of resilience and they're working hard. But I think that there comes a point where it does get humiliating, doesn't it? Where you are just essentially causing emotional distress for the sake of it. Where there's no real need yeah. to. Whole fitness testing in general, there's always going to be a winner and there's always going to be a loser, isn't there? Yeah. And while, yes, there are winners and losers, and we'll go on to sport-specific stuff, obviously it teaches people that you can't always win. I think when it comes to a fitness test when you're younger, I'm not, what are your thoughts on it? I'm not really... First of all, things like bleep test, etc. for children, <laughs> yeah. what why? is you're actually trying to measure here mm. and why? Mm-hmm. Like in a tactical setting or even like a, you know, even in like a athletic setting in general, I can understand because mm. you're trying to see if you're actually making improvements in the long run and you're also trying to acquire that skill of speed and agility, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But when you're a child and you're not on a progressive program, yeah, what is the benefit? You know, what the fuck are you testing for? Yeah, I don't you understand know. why you'd ever have to test children in a fitness setting. Yeah, in it's a very like specific that. thing as well. Like what outcome yeah. are you actually looking for? Mm. The, the only outcome mm. I can see is that people will get very upset because they're not very good or they're yeah. not very fit. I'm happy to be corrected on this because I could be wrong. Uh, but once again, I'm going to keep saying back in my day throughout this discussion, by the way, Bill, I'm just going to forewarn you now. Yeah. It wasn't even that long ago. It's only like, what, eight years ago. But they used to do the caliper test. Remember the calipers for the body mm, fat? Body fat, yeah. Used to do that every now and again. I know that's kind of been stopped and I can I can definitely see why. <sighs> to be honest with you, unless there's a serious, serious medical reason not to, then like uh, a medical reason to be doing it, sorry, then yeah, like um, probably shouldn't be doing that, especially in front of other children. And my biggest issue is this: is like doing testing in front of other kids in general is a bit of a piss take, I believe, because it does not give confidence at the end of the day. Yeah, and there's no, there's no. What's the, what's the outcome? I can't see, I can't see a justifiable yeah. outcome for it. Like, why do you need to test a child in a school setting and to be even, fit or not? Even if, like, you did, you you know when someone is obese, mm. you know when someone is obese, you know when a child is obese. Yeah. You know, and you're not going to tell me, oh no, that's just a child with a lot of dense muscle and bone density. But okay, you as a PE teacher, okay, you've tested their body fat of a caliper. Well, okay, yeah, this is very obese. What do you do from there? Because you're a PE teacher, 
Yeah. You're not doing behavior change with these children. Mm. You know, you're not teaching them nutritional habits. You can't even program for them. You can't, you're, you're not an actual, let's be honest with you, a PE teacher is not a fucking health specialist in any no. way, shape or form. So what, what is what is the point? Maybe you can refer them to a doctor. Okay. That comes with its own complications. Because mm. as we know, weight, <laughs> weight maintenance, loss, gain can be very hard. And uh, especially for a, child yeah you know, I, I generally think it's something where unless it's in need in an acute setting mm. just don't bother with it leave it untouched causes more problems as you said like what is the if they tell the teacher great even if they go to the parents what are the parents going to do you tell the parent oh your, your child's overweight okay the parent how, what's the parent going to fucking do they, they have no idea how to deal with it unless they're obviously are they are in that in that field you know luckily that that'd be lucky for the child but they probably wouldn't be in that situation to begin with. Yeah, I just don't see if there could be any good outcome out of it. Like it's just to to, to me, it's just pointless. I'm all for PE, mm. but I'm more interested in making it more diverse and making it more, yeah, giving more options of what to do. I mean, once again, I'm going to repeat myself. But back in my day, there was two two choices for PE in secondary school, and that was football, which I fucking hated. Or cross country running. Which, <laughs> All running. To be fair, I didn't. I, I I didn't mind. I didn't used to run. I used to walk it. Yeah. But still, like it was just like one or the other. Yeah. When they finally introduced rugby into the school, I I took it and I fucking loved it, and that was something I actually wanted to do. Not enough people actually signed up to do it, so eventually it got discarded. So once going back to football or just running around the track. Yeah. So yeah, n- uh, nowhere near enough options. Another reason why I want to kind of like advocate for strength children, uh, strength children, <laughs> strength children. Don't, ad- don't don't advocate for strong children. It'd be impossible to ground them. Probably Stewie from Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just these roided up kids, yeah. you know, uh, like in Bulgaria, or Romania. <laughs> Have you seen their like uh, <laughs> their, their youth, their, their, their youth weightlifting team? Jesus They're Christ. Enormous, are they? Oh God. Jesus. It reminds me of China yeah. where they get they like pull them away from their families if they're genetically gifted like a, a toddler yeah. and they just throw them in a camp. <laughs> and they win gold medals. <laughs> we like, laugh, but it's it's true. It's true. Actually it's, actually, do it. it's actually really yeah, it's actually true. It's, I mean if you look at like the Shaolin uh, the Shaolin monks, mm. like they just take children and okay, it's romanticized as like, oh, it's really cool they take children into the it's temple awful and the they teach them Shaolin. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, just t- it's taking their children. Just videos on YouTube of kids crying as like two old guys in robes just like stand on their legs and stuff it's basically just child abuse romanticizes something very spiritual try and get prince andrew to fucking do that <laughs> fucking prince andrew, you know yeah. see how well it goes god he's getting happening yeah. on this podcast now prince andrew opened up his own shaolin temple <laughs> it, it could happen who knows it's been a weird couple of years what was i even talking about that's it i did have a point and that was that's one of the reasons why i want to advocate strength training for adolescents as well because you might get people because it opens up a whole diverse thing you can kind of do with physical education, mm. different equipment, different movements. Well, they are they are starting to do it now, aren't they? Like when we spoke to Spencer, do you remember the guy from uh, the TikTok man? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Also, he was saying how when he was like coming towards the end, they were doing they were they having gym sessions, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and I also talk about now because I did also get some information on what's currently taught in primary school sort of settings for, for PE and apparently they tend to just teach transferable skills like uh, catching, throwing, teamwork and they normally put it into like a game element because the game element makes it fun. Um, but they also do gym and dance but again it's not really testing as they, they you know they wanted to emphasize to me. They, they put them in there just to expose them to these different elements of 
health, fitness, sports, gym, etc. Another point actually someone did make, which I think is really important, is they said that over the years, the year sixes, so that's like the the highest year of primary school, I believe is what it still is, um, have become more aware of themselves and their bodies. So at no point would I ever put them through fitness testing, mm. which is really interesting. And I think this awareness of people's bodies and how they look and stuff, I'm not sure if it's linked to like social media. It probably is. I don't want to assume anything, but when you're constantly bombarded with information of what is the perfect body, how you should look. I mean, it's been like this for years. I forget social media. I feel like I'm hammering it because it's been in magazines back in the past, like the old days of models. People could grab a magazine and it'll have a picture on the front of men's health, women's health, and show you what an ideal body type is. But I think now people are becoming more aware of it because they're seeing more and more, like everyone's on their phones, aren't they glued to it? So they're getting basically constantly seeing these images. Um, because they're aware of it, if you're then testing, you're always comparing um, and then you have this whole self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, as my cousin did say, she was basically saying, oh, I'm not fit enough. Oh, I'm not good enough. Um, I'm not as good as my man here to my left. Or I, read, I looked at this person on social media. They were really fit when they were 14 or 12, 11, whatever age it is. Why am I not that fit? Yeah. And once again, kind of like, and it's ironic actually, because I've just made a social media post about it, but basically defining, well, what is healthy in general? Because if we start looking at it as like a complete package of, oh, oh well, this child in particular needs to needs to be at this ideal weight or needs to have this uh, ideal bleep test or they need to be better than this person at the bleep test. Or needs to at least, the whole class needs to at least be able to run a certain amount on a bleep test. It's like, but then it's actually taking away like the self-efficacy of like, well, what can they do for their current level? Do you see what I kind of mean here? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Um, just because they don't have this arbitrary standard of what is seen as health and fitness doesn't necessarily mean they can't make improvements in other ways. And I think the important thing, as someone mentioned as well, was there was a, one of the teachers went on some course of it and they were talking about how when they do PE now, it's about movement and games, trying to make it enjoyable because they don't want people to hate PE because they're more likely to continue with some form of sport or fitness as adults if they enjoy PE mm. when they're younger. If you make them hate it when they're younger, yeah. testing and stuff, they're less likely to want to do it when they don't have to. Because when you leave school, you don't, have to, you don't have to go to the gym. So if you hated it when you were younger, why would you go and do something similar when you're older? So if you can make it really fun and really enjoyable during school when they get a choice. But actually, I really enjoyed PE when I was going through school. It was really, the sports are great. The gym aspect was really cool. I'm going to carry on with it when I leave. And that's where the real difference actually is made. So I can't remember who it was, but um, so you see how you just said there about the fun, like the, the throwing, the catching, mm. teamwork, etc. I can't remember who it was, but they was talking about like uh, exercise amongst youth, etc. And the, the individual used a key term, and that was that we basically want them just getting to do the fun, the mentals. But fun as in, well, fun. So, okay, it's fundamental movements, fundamental skills, you know, balance, coordination, yeah, teamwork. Um, at the same time, if they're running around like lunatics, you know, catching fins and foam fins, they're going to build up their aerobic capacity and their strength, etc. anyway. But that is the idea is to make it fun. Now, the thing is, like, obviously, I'm talking about, like, it'd be nice to have, like, variety and exercise, etc., uh, adding strength training and blah, blah, blah. It's a bit of a difficult one because, obviously, if you just dedicate it to one of those fins, then you're constantly trying to juggle several different fins all at once. And you're going to have one week where a certain bunch of kids don't like that, then another bunch of kids don't like the next fin, etc., Whereas, actually, if we just focus on those fundamentals, at least in something like primary school, then, yeah, like uh, I, I think that'd be awesome. Mm. 
I mean, it introduces different skill sets, different movement patterns. I'll be all for that. And it's no longer, even if it's like a game, it hasn't necessarily got to be competitive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went a bit deeper on this because I do understand your points there. And I did ask her about this. And she said that in primary school, they do everything. Like in terms of sports, they'll do like football one term. Then they'll get a sports coach coming for another term and do something else. But she said it's basically, it's, a, it's really fun. It's team building. It's resilience. And she said there is, a competitive, there is a competitive element. But she said you do need it in sports. And the key thing they focus on is not singling people out, making people feel like they're not good. And also if someone's good, they don't big them up. They don't let them, they don't make them feel like they're amazing. So, because obviously other kids might notice that. And I mentioned it like, is it not bad if a kid hates a sport? And she made a really good point was, look, they have to do things like swimming. The curriculum, they have to do swimming. They have to do certain sport. People, some kids hate it. But she said, while it's very complicated, you could argue it's resilience. Sometimes you've got to do things which are uncomfortable and you don't like. Mm. Okay, like swimming, for example. But you could argue, okay, it's building some resilience. If you get into a, a situation you're uncomfortable with, you're uncomfortable stepping onto a football field. And then you're stripping you're a child who isn't comfortable with how they look down to their swim shorts. See, that? that's obviously, that, that's in it. But then, see, this is where it gets obviously very complicated. because then we're It's a tricky, it. isn't it? It's very tricky to navigate. And even when she said, because when she spoke to me, I actually spoke to her about it. And she was saying, as she was saying, oh, you know, it could build resilience. She was like, sort of stopped halfway and oh, it's a really tricky one to talk about because she understands it. It's very hard. You have to find a balance. The, basically, the evidence shows though, and this is really important, the evidence does show that shame is not the way to build health and confidence. No. So we have to be very careful, like as Tom said, if you do sports, make sure you're making it a shame-free environment. So even don't big people up, don't bring people down. Make sure it's a, you know, it's equal, everyone's equal in some way. And that's I fair play to the people who take these children through <laughs> through like sport sessions or PE stuff because it's very it's mm. very difficult to navigate very difficult. I just want to backtrack a little bit too much, Lee, because we're talking about shame, and you mentioned earlier about calipers, and yeah. I wasn't aware of this program, but she sent me a link, um, and she wasn't too impressed with it. Basically, there's something that's coming out, Tom, and it's the National Child Measurement Program. Yes. I remember it's causing a big stir. If you have a child in reception, age four to five, or year six, age 10 to 11, you will receive a letter with more information from your local council before your child is measured. On the day, trained staff will weigh your child and measure their height while they're in clothes at school. They'll make sure the measurements are done sensitively and private and your child's results will not be shared with teachers or other children. The, the reason they're doing this is because they the child's measurements will be used to check if they're in a healthy weight range. If your child is above a healthy weight, you can get support from your local council or NHS services. Your child does not have to take part, but every child who's measured is contributing to the national picture about how children are growing. Now, her response to this was she thinks it's going to contribute to disordered eating, whether that be binge eating or your more typical eating disorders. And then she went to echo what we said earlier. Shame doesn't help people become healthier. My issue is that, okay, so you take the nation's weight, and this doesn't even got to be children. This could be adults as well. It could be adolescents. It could be you know adults. It could be the elderly. And let's just say, okay, someone is overweight. Okay, then what? No, no, seriously, what then? Okay, I'm they're overweight. Now the, what? The local council and NHS actually, services. But what yeah, is that bear in mind, what does that entail? Like, what does that entail? This, when it comes to socioeconomics, obviously it's <laughs> overconsumption is driven by a lot of things, which funny enough is actually usually government policy as well. But no, seriously, then what? What What now? What's the next? Okay, you've told me I'm overweight. I feel fucking dreadful. Now what? 
Oh, what's the next step on the NHS website? It says to, let's have a look here. Oh, the five steps for success. This is for your children, yeah? So you, you just come back, your result is your child's overweight, yeah? Here's your five keys for success. Be a good role model. Encourage 60 minutes and up to several hours of physical activity each day. Okay, that's cool. That's not too bad. Keep the child's size portions. Serve healthy meals, drinks and snacks. Less screen time and more sleep. Well, why don't I think of any of that? Yeah. Do you, do you see what I mean? <laughs> it's just the bare basic advice. And what if the parents are in the same situation, which sometimes is the case? Which, the child, yeah, normally, a yeah, lot the of the time. Yeah, the, if the child is in a situation where they are you know, an unhealthy weight, the chance are the parent is, is too. So what if that's the case? You're then telling the parent to do stuff which they are struggling to navigate themselves. Mm. So you are potentially also bringing shame upon the parent in a way. Do you not think? Yeah. Because you're saying, look, blah, 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 and then they're saying, do, do all that. You need to do all this because your child's overweight. You need to do this. You need to do that. The parent probably thinks they know they need to do it themselves. They're struggling to do that. And they feel shamed because they have let their child down. They they, have, they don't have a shame because they feel like they have, they've failed their child. If you if, if someone came to you, Tom, said, oh, your child's obese. You need to start doing this because they're very unhealthy. You're going to feel shamed as a parent because yeah. you feel like you've let your child yeah, down. Yeah, 100%. How, how is that going to help anything? That's going to make you feel fucking awful. Obviously, 100%. Obviously, we need to be aware of things. Like, as we said before, you can't change something you're not aware of. But I think there's better ways of getting around it than mm. firing children through a set of scales. I mean, the problem is as well is, as a society, things are changing rapidly mm. every day. You know, don't get me wrong, when I, when I was a child, completely different circumstances. We didn't have um, a lot of screen time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we had the PlayStation come out and stuff like that. But back in the day, we used to... Go, go on the estate and actually play, play, you know, play runouts and stuff like that. Knock down ginger. Knock down, yeah. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but yeah, things like knock down ginger. Why did it called that? You know, I forgot why it's called that now. Why is it called knock down ginger? Why is it called knock down ginger? Yeah, I forgot why it was called that. I looked it up years ago, but I can't remember why it's called that now. What is it? Is it called something else now? I, I, I do remember, even back when I was a kid, the name of it was getting a lot of shit. Yeah, a lot. I, it has been called something else. Knock knock. It's also called knock knock ginger on Wikipedia. It's a game dating back to the 19th century. Right, let's get this up, guys, because I think you'll probably think it. Do you know what? It was such a rush planet as a kid, but when you're an adult and someone does it to you, suddenly you think, God, what a really shit game <laughs> to play against people. In an English poem found in the Childhood and Poetry Collection, Ginger Ginger broke a window, hit the window crack. The baker came out to give him a clout and landed him on his back. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Some casual child abuse. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's where it's from. Maybe that's he does say I deserved it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where it's from then. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. No, oh, God, a whole, what have you there's found? A whole, there's a whole list of names. Here we go. There's a whole different names where it's called different things. So, Knock a door run? In Northern, in Northern Ireland, it's just called Belfast. What? <laughs> 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 Let's not get political. <laughs> no, yeah. um, England, England is knockdown ginger. It's also called knockoff ginger. Wales, it's called Bobby knocking. <laughs> That's great. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Bobby knocking. In England, it's also called knockador run, which sounds a bit more yeah, PC than, run. than knockdown ginger. Um, Liverpool, it's very knock straightforward. Knockador dash. Okay, Netherlands, Germany, and Belgium. It's saying that citations needed. <laughs> <It's confirmed. laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> Bella Tager Trecken. Klingen Strike is Germany. Belek Trek is, uh, is Belgium. Klingen Strike. Yeah, Klingen Strike. That sounds fucking well. Well, the German language. Do you know is what? Have you, have you seen those? Um, yeah, the videos YouTube in the German. Videos yeah, I've seen it. Where it's, uh, 
I like things like it, that. It tells you different translations in different languages of certain things. Yeah, like science. And then science. Like science. 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 And then it's German. It's like, hey, Stein. It's like, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. They do hospital, don't they? Or they do nurse and stuff. It's like, yeah, hosp- uh, hospital, uh, ambulance. And yeah. German, it's like a, Krankenschwester. Science in different languages. Here we go. Hopefully the video that I'm thinking. Here we go. <laughs> Guess which one was German, guys? Hmm. <laughs> I love how they all sound the same. Like they all have like a similar. You could kind of interpret. You could probably like translate that quite easily. But then when it comes to German, it's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I can't speak German, but I have a feeling that if I just talk angrily enough, I'll people will get the message. Yeah. Let me finish this list because this is a great list. Um, also in the United Kingdom, this is okay. This is like a United. This is the UK broadly, so we're talking all the different zones here. Knock and Nash. That sounds quite interesting. <laughs> Knock and Nash. <laughs> what? That sounds like a pie mashup. It does, doesn't it? Oh, Scotland's brilliant. You ready? Chicky Melly, Chapdoor Run, yeah. Chappy Chappies. Chappy Chappies. Yeah, I won't be using that anytime soon. Nick Knack. Um, United Kingdom, Cherry Knocking, Norway. Dingle Dangle. That's quite good. I mean, those last three sound like brothels. <laughs> brothels. Anyway, I'll go to North America now. Oh, God, they're so basic, aren't they? They are It'll be so... something very friendly. Oh, God. United States. If we're talking Canada. <sighs> Ding Dong Ditch. Doorbell Ditch. Oh, can I, can I, obviously you can tell Canada's, you know, living the dream here. Knock Knock Ginger. Hey. Colonial Roots, which uh, will come on nicely later. Um, they oh, also that's got... actually one of the names of it then, Colonial Roots. <laughs> okay. uh, Nikki, 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 Nine Door. That's class, that. That's Canada. Um, oh, this is so... Ring and run. Straight to the point. <laughs> Straight to the point, yeah. Uh, Canada, oh, okay, it's obviously French Canada. Son du Cresse, I think it's pronounced. <laughs> that, that sounds very posh. Yeah, it does. Uh, Oceana, so Australia. Uh, Nick Knockin and Ding Dong Dash. Africa, we've got Tok Toki in South Africa. Like South that. America, in Argentina, we've got Rin Raj, or Rin Raj. That sounds like something you'd need hemorrhoid cream for. <laughs> Chile is Rin Rin Raja. Once again, see my previous comment. <laughs> Colombia is Tintin Cori Cori. That sounds delicious. Um, Asia, so we've got South Korea and Japan. Obviously, they've translated it, so I can pronounce it. Um, South Korea is Bell Twi. Okay, that sounds yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, Japan's is cracking. Ping Pong Dash. <laughs> Ping pong dash. Nice. Love that. So, I mean, that's quite... Wow, how did we get onto that? <laughs> I have no idea. But I love about? how, like, you know, as a... It's a global as, game. As an actual species, yeah. It's yeah, like we've a, all got amongst it. Global pastime. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. How do we get onto Knockdown Ginger? I have no idea. Trying to get kids fit. Bring back Knockdown Ginger. Back in my... Oh, no, we talked about how... Bring back it back. The, we talked about screen time, how now we go outdoors and play games outside and... But it is true. Like, obviously, circumstances are different. And rather than just, like, trying to, you know, go back to the old days, we need to find new ways we can actually move forward. And I think, I mean, this would lead on nice and like the next topic we'll be talking about as well. But yeah. trying to actually encourage children to, I mean, look, nutritionally speaking, nutrition-wise, food choices, it's a very hard thing to change. It's a very hard thing to intercept. Mm. But one thing we can try and do, something that's going to require the least amount of effort probably, is actually try and get children to move more. Mm. 
But I think this is where we have to be very careful with like how we message things and how we actually promote movement. So once again, this is why I'm very much against like a nocebic language. Because what we remember as children can go on to our adult life. So this is why I think, yeah, promoting various different kinds of movement, you know. And if one child's got wonky feet, don't worry about it. If one child's posture's a bit funny, don't focus on it. Unless there's actually a need to, don't focus on it. But just trying to encourage different kind of, yeah, those fundamentals, getting kids moving. Tom sort of alluded to there about how we we can move quite nicely on to this next point. Um, and this is about adherence to uh, aerobic and muscle strengthening activities guidelines. The next piece of news is basically we've got a brand new paper which looked at, as I said, adherence to the guidelines that are given. Um, and it's not looking very good, if I'm being honest. What we'll do is I'll quickly read out the title of the paper and then we'll go into a recap of what these guidelines actually are. So it's a huge paper. Um, it's Adherence to Aerobic and Muscle Strength and Activity Guidelines, a systematic review and meta-analysis of 3.3 million participants across 31 countries. And important to note, no studies reported data for children aged between 5 and 11. Prince Andrew is furious. So quick recap, what are the guidelines? Um, children adolescents so this will link quite nicely back to that point about you know fitness testing kids and stuff so the current guidelines for children and adolescents aged between 5 and 17 is they should do at least an average of 60 minutes per day of moderate to vigorous intensity mostly aerobic physical activity across the week they should incorporate vigorous intensity aerobic activities as well as those that strengthen muscle and bone at least three days a week and should limit the amount of time being uh, sedentary, particularly the amount of recreational screen time, which is something we also spoke about um, a second ago. Um, if we also move on now to adults, so this is aged between 18 and 64, you should do at least 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic physical activity, or at least 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic physical activity, or an equivalent combination of both throughout the week. You should also do a muscle strengthening activities at moderate or greater intensity that involve all major muscle groups on two or more days a week as these provide additional health benefits. May increase moderate intensity aerobic physical activity to more than 300 meters, uh, 300 minutes, meters. <laughs> you might do more than 300 meters a week to that or do more than 150 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic physical activity or a combination throughout the week for additional health benefits. So you can do more than that if you want to get fitter, which is pretty obvious. If you want to get fitter, you do more than what the guidelines are. You should limit the amount of time spent being sedentary, replacing sedentary time with physical activity of any intensity, including light intensity, so go for a walk, as this will provide health benefits um, and help to reduce the detrimental effects of high levels of sedentary behavior on health. All adults and old adults should aim to do more than the recommended levels of moderate to vigorous intensity physical activity. So a lot to unpack there. These guidelines, obviously I've read them out for you, but they will be uh, listed in the show notes. I'll give you a nice link there so you can have a look at them uh, for your context. But basically, there are the guidelines. This paper looked at how people are adhering to these guidelines. Now, here are the stats, which um, might be alarming. Who knows? Overall adherence to aerobic and MSA, so uh, muscular strengthening activities, guidelines in those 18 and older were 17 0.15%. Among adolescents, so 12 to 17, adherence to both guidelines was 19.45%. And they noted women 
older age, low slash medium education levels, underweight or obesity, and poor and moderate self-rated health were associated with lower adherence to the activity guidelines among adults, although the prevalence remained very low in all cases. So the conclusion of this paper, only one out of five adolescents and adults met the recommended combined aerobic and MSA guidelines. Large-scale public health interventions promoting both types of exercise are needed to reduce the associated burden of non-communicable diseases. Wow. I mean, um, first of all, like the numbers in regards to like people not rec- uh, making the recommended activity mm. is not surprising because it has been replicated in previous research as well yeah so yeah it's not surprising once again though and this is kind of going back off of our previous topic and that is well first no actually first of all like this is a really complex situation we've kind of found ourselves in Mm. there's not a one answer is going to fix everything but i do think this is where it does help for people to understand that there's benefits in all different kinds of exercises and movements and now, actually, the physical activity sometimes hasn't actually even got to be actually considered as exercise, even though it technically is. It's disguised as it. Mm. So it wasn't that long ago that like people didn't even consider that walking is exercise. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's yeah, it's a complex situation. And I also, I'd also say, Tom, is that these numbers could even be lower because people often overstate their activity levels. One because it could be things like shame. Like if someone asks you how much activity have you done this week, if you say nothing, some people might feel bad about that. They might feel like, oh, mate, I haven't done anything. I should feel bad. So they might be like, oh, I did, you know, I did a couple of runs this week. You know, they, they might blag it a little bit. So these numbers, I would actually say, obviously, this is just me speaking opinion. I reckon they're actually lower than that. They're low enough as it is, but I reckon they're even lower. And those are reported, yeah. um, and I think the biggest hurdles people are facing is accessibility and adherence. Yeah, definitely being able to access the tools, the information, et cetera, and then being able to adhere to it. Because one thing about actually doing it, the first thing, it's hard to even get into a gym for some people. And the, the next hurdle people seem to face is sticking with it. Yeah, 100%. I think people's beliefs as well. Mm. You know, people's beliefs play a big part in this. Um, I mean, once again, this is why I don't I don't like exercise shaming, mm. where certain fitfluencers will like pick a certain, just because it gives them content to create, I suppose, They'll pick a certain exercise or modality and, you know, like, no, no, you shouldn't be doing this or, oh, this is perfect. Why do people do this? Mm. I mean, I can think of examples on the top of my head now. Fitfluencers that have, like, had, like, an absolute grievance against spin classes. Oh, I couldn't imagine sitting there in a studio on a bike, you know, not even going nowhere, looking at a screen or just listening to music while an instructor shouts at you, why don't you just get a real bike? You know, as we discussed, for some people... It's, it might be more cost-effective than just have the gym membership mm-hmm. and actually owning a bike. Some people might feel more safer. Some people might feel self-conscious going out on a bike compared to just being in a class. Then we've got this whole these. Have you heard like these optimal bros lately? When it comes to actual Ops- like yeah, sure. resistance training, yeah, yeah. so you've got people that are saying, you know, oh, you should stop doing a lap pull down. It's not actually a lap pull down. It's a terrace pull down. <laughs> you know those types of wankers. Then you're putting people off of resistance training that way. Like, well, one is what I'm actually doing even doing anything or is it useless because this guy's told me it's useless or oh, I don't want to be seen as that guy that's doing everything wrong. Do you know what I mean? At the same time, there's a belief that um, when it comes to steps, walking, 
oh, well, I can't do the 10,000 steps yeah. a day that is necessary for so me to bother. be doing exercise. If I can't do all of it, then what's the point of doing any of it? When actually research shows that getting much less than that will have significant health benefits. Well, even 2,000 has a lot of bigs and yeah. boost. So. We've spoken about how some people get shamed for just going to the gym just to walk on the treadmill. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, they could be walking the street. One, they don't want to, and that's their business. But other things, like once again, a safe environment. It's warm. They've got Wi-Fi. They could put their phone on the treadmill and you know, watch Netflix as they're moving. Yeah. If that's the thing that's going to keep them, keep them moving, happy days. Fair enough. I think this all ties back to accessibility. It might not sound like it directly, but I think it is because... Yeah. accessibility is part of people not being able to access modalities of a thing and if people feel shame about doing a certain thing or they're scared fearful because if, let's face it if i if you ask a group of people who here likes to be wrong not many people like to be wrong or they like to do something wrong and the problem is we're constantly being told there are certain ways to do things whether that's nutrition gym whatever so people will go like mm, i don't really want to do that i don't think that's right so they won't do it anecdotally speaking whenever i've had um new clients who and usually it is usually women as well mm. who come to me for training when i ask them like what is the main reason that you kind of come to me for they say to me oh, i don't want to be doing the exercises wrong i don't want to be getting injured oh, i hear that all the time yeah yeah so once again people's beliefs well, actually as long as you're not going absolutely crazy with what you're doing mm. who you know it's safe to move with or without a pt yeah so i think like a lot of the beliefs we have whether it be just things we assume by ourselves or things we might have heard on articles or, or pts have told us certain things or just how society might view certain you know subjects as well like exercises or you know even nutrition it's it's one big hellscape of misinformation which can put people off of things mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just like ignorance and not at anyone's fault but just simply not knowing that there's other options out and this, there this this is comes back to that shame point we talked about tom how there's people out there who might not be in you could say you know healthy weight we'll call it or a healthy situation in life but the problem is if they think something there is a reason they think what they think and that is because of the environment they're in and what they're the information they're surrounded by you get too often people will shame people for decisions they make if they're yeah. like, if they're going out, for example, you'll see someone having a takeaway or you'll have someone sitting in a meal and they've ordered a burger in a restaurant and they might be overweight. Someone might say, oh, should you have it? Should, be, should you be having that? Yeah. Or, you know, th- comments or, like this or th- even worse, what's the point of you going to the gym if you eat takeaways? This is what I mean. We're quite, even when people, the, the thing is I like to think is that everything that we talk about, everything that people know and whatever is for a reason. Shame, as we said, the evidence points to shame basically doing nothing for us in terms of improving our health okay by shaming people you're not really making a bit of, for some people it might it might kick them up the arse a little bit in a, a minority of people they might think oh, okay you know what i feel a bit i'm gonna do it but for majority of people shame just leads to them going further into you know the hypothetical hole you could say that they're in so in the bigger scope of things are these you know david goggins or mm. jordan peterson videos actually doing anything you know who they are helping they're given people who are already active and people, people are already motivated. Who are already interested the people, in anyone. the people are already motivated and actually doing well in whatever they're choosing to do, fitness, whatever business. Uh, they're the ones who actually like that because it's just it's just like almost they survivorship bias. Yeah, they're in that that bubble, aren't they? But the people who yeah. aren't in that bubble, it's actually <laughs> making them feel you know, when they say, Why aren't you fucking running today? Why aren't you exercising today? What it's like fucking up, mate. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus David. Yeah. yeah so, so, Excuse that, mate. I don't think people are aware of that. <laughs> like even little, do, you know, do you know what? Um, there was a case where I was trying to encourage my, my uh, partner to take up some form of activity, and this was when she was like uh, 
had a high stress job. She had you thrash for the garden. So it was. Oh yeah, definitely. Joe, <laughs> <Just laughs> you, know, you will get people like that. Yeah. You'll get people that will say, "Go in the garden and do yeah. ten thousand steps in the garden." I have physically heard it with my own ears. I've heard someone say that. <laughs> Just in the garden. I've heard someone say that to their client. No excuses. Go. You've got a garden. Do ten thousand steps on your. You know five meter space of patio that reminds me of a video i did like back at like months ago about ten thousand steps when i was in my garden literally just walking up and down in my jacket it's like <laughs> taking a piss out <laughs> like people actually do that but um no do you know what helped in it's something which she wasn't aware of until i showed her it but there was youtube videos where it was just just a simple no equipment not even strength training an aerobic video for 20 minutes which just involved things like high knees mm. and just simply basically what he was doing was he was walking down the spot but it was to music, and it was different movements, etc. Touched the left side of the carpet, touched the right. By the time she was done on average, it was like 4,000 steps. Sorry, not 4,000, like, like 3,000 steps in like half an hour, stuff like that. But it's one of those things where some people might not even be aware that things like that exist. So actually now I've actually got access to movement at home without mm. equipment in a very small living room. So you see, it's just like some people just don't simply know that there's other options available. We actually did a few video, uh, a few videos, a few podcasts recently. Um, so you want to? So we did like, so you want to build muscle? So you want to lose weight? They're actually quite good episodes to to have a listen to because we kind of go through like a, a list of action steps, kind of if you, if you're brand new and you want to get involved in these things. So if you are someone who's listening or you maybe know someone who's listening, uh, point them towards those episodes. So you want to lose weight? So you want to build muscle? Uh, so you want to start the gym? I think that's the first one we did was so you want to start the gym. That's a really good one to get people in there, and we sort of break down some barriers and we give you some actionable steps to get stuck in to hopefully help you um, get involved it's basically just a bit more in depth than what we were just talking about but i think yeah just help i think the key thing is we just need to help each other out people know people think what they think for a certain reason let's be empathetic to that let's just help each other out get your friends and family together let's make it a more enjoyable experience yeah um, and that will help people adhere to it if you do it if your friends and family it becomes more accessible because people in packs you know pack, pack mentality is a thing i suppose if you're doing it with friends and family and you're enjoying it you're more likely to adhere to it so let's just help each other out um, and let's try and get those percentages up of adherence because they are fucking oh yeah, tragically tragically low unfortunately 100 um, percent. but you know what as well the problem with exercise as well is that it can be classist and very tribal mm, sure. so once again i've seen certain fitfluencers slagging off peloton and it's like look okay, this person that has a peloton obviously has a lot of disposable income in order to afford it in the first place. Mm. Um, so what? That's not my fucking business. But if it's something that they they enjoy doing and they enjoy that competitive uh, aspect of it, cool, let them. But at the same time, I've also seen the other end where it's like, oh, people that just go and do Zumba. It's like, so what? Okay, guys, we'll move on to the final piece of news this week. And this one is quite interesting, actually. Decolonize your diet. So I think we should start this one by Tom. Do you want to give us a rendition of Real Britannia? I think I feel like that's appropriate. No, I'll no. not be doing that. Sure? Um, as soon as I saw that in the show notes, I was like, nope. Oh, come not, on, give us a deal Real Britannia. <laughs> Do you know what, though? Do you know what's funny? I know it's not Real Britannia. But uh, so at the time of recording this, the World Cup is happening. It is, yeah. um, we've just recently battered Wales. <laughs> you know, absolutely battered the fuck out of the Welsh. Yeah. Standard. Um, but uh, when, <laughs> as you do in a football game, if you're on the uh, England uh, side, you sing the national anthem. Now, how many, have you heard it, Bill, where 
the crowd seems to forget that we now actually have a king. Have a king, yeah. God save, yeah. God save the king. The amount of times it? I've heard him singing, and like you can hear half the crowd saying "Queen" and half the crowd saying. Uh, she, uh, she was around for a long fucking time. That's why I know. It's just like, we ingrained. forget. We forget that she wasn't a constant. She wasn't like a, a permanent fixture in our <laughs> in our life. Like no, she was eventually it's going be to weird die. like changing the lyrics over. Oh god, well, it's going to stay king for a while now, though, isn't it? Obviously, Charles, Harry, well, George, you know, and, uh, Harry, William. <laughs> Let, let, let's let's wait and see. What do you mean? Let's wait. Weirder and see? things have happened. What do you mean? What do you mean? Weirder things happened. Where are you going with this? I'm just saying, like weirder things have happened. What you know. We're gonna start saying God save what? I don't know. It could be anything. We could be taken over by pigeons oh, or other avian species. <laughs> here we go again. You know. Before we know it, within a couple of years, it could be, you know, God save our parakeet. Or any other avian. I'm not going back where the birds aren't real jokes. I can't deal with it. You can't deal with that anymore. Um, anyway, decolonising your diet. Tom won't sing Royal Britannia. I can't be asked to get the, the video up, but basically... <laughs> um, Actually, just to say that the title isn't as bad as it sounds. I know it's supposed to like generate rage and clickbait. Yeah, it's People not. are supposed to go, oh, this is really woke, but actually there is a point to it. There is a point to it, yeah, so... Basically, it's another week. It's another men's health article, but don't be alarmed. It's all right, relax. So this 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 uh, article, decolonizing your diet, has a whole host of amazing benefits. So there's a brand new movement, um, which in my opinion, really, when I first saw it, was it was basically a reformatted paleo diet specifically for those who live in North America. Um, but basically, on Instagram, there are now more than fifteen thousand posts carrying the hashtag, decolonize your diet, and I quote. Removing colonial influence from your diet is not just about putting down pizza and pasta. It's important to acknowledge the history of indigenous. <laughs> Say it for me, Tom. Indigenous. 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 Okay, I was spitting up my words there. Got fucking dehydrated today. Indigenous people in North America, including colonization. Right. What's become clear straight away? We'll obviously talk about more about the diet, but what's super. What was not super clear is what fits the criteria for someone who is following this decolonized diet. Um, there are some key things though, which I'll rattle off. One thing I just like to quickly say is I do think that the reason why they specifically use the word decolonize is that there are a couple of like um, I've got to be very very careful how I word this. It's like no, nah, fuck, I'm just gonna say it. There's like a it's like a buzzword or a trend going around to say decolonize fitness you know, or okay. decolonized body image, etc. So I have a feeling they kind of use this tagline Just to, to edge into that, cause a bit of outrage and actually get you reading the article. Oh, okay. I wonder what the um, indigenous, I just want to say that word again, so because that proves I can say it. I wonder what they did for fitness. I reckon they're just like cutting around carrying carcasses and stuff. Well, it's when, when we say indigenous, like what indigenous population do we actually mean? Got the Inuits that, you know, just like did their 10,000 steps in the snow and the every rest. day. Yeah. Well, they probably did more than that. Their ice yeah. blocks, their, uh, you know, their hunting, etc. Mm, yeah. And then you had like Trevor from the ancient Celts who were just like, you know. Trevor from the ancient Celts? Probably like go up to a druid, Trevor, get so a blessing. On. Trevor. And then is, go is and beat a real warthog to death. Trevor, Trevor does not sound like an ancient Celt. Uh, I don't know. It was, the, it was the most English name I could think of at the time. I think it's a dying out. Sounds awful. They? I think they're dying out. Trevor's. We can only hope. I don't think there's, <laughs> there's been. not anyway. Trevor McDonald, though. I like Trevor McDonald. Anyway, I feel back, bad for saying that now. Back to it. So, as I said, it's not clear, that clear anyway, what the criteria for this diet is. But some key things are, for some of you out there who may be on this diet, it means removing Western European influence entirely. 
indigenous food, I'm really good at this word now, often include fruits, vegetables, and herbs from one region. It can include supporting local farms to shopping for traditional ingredients. Decolonizing your diet involves learning how to connect with the land, find native ingredients, and prepare ancestral dishes. Um, and from what I could see, just having a little look and a little bit of a digging onto this, it looks mainly plant-based. Because when we're looking at it, you're actually eliminating ingredients that were introduced by Western Europeans when, uh, you know, sailed over. Um, and that includes things like wheat, flour, dairy products, cane sugar, beef, pork, uh, and chicken. And if you eliminate those, you want to focus on your indigenous food system. I'm buzzing now. Indigenous food system. Um, many people who remove Western European foods from their diet will not consume meat, which is why it's mainly plant-based. Um, so let's unpack this a bit further then, Tom. What I'm getting from this, if I look at this from a optimistic viewpoint and not like this is paleo diet 2.0 is it just seems to me it's a case of eating local and preparing dishes from start to finish using local ingredients as opposed to going to the supermarket and buying you know imported stuff you go to your local you know farm shop whatever and you get basically what is grown on the land in your town basically hmm. i mean <laughs> look, Tom, Tom, tom's like what i mean in, in regards to this article it is driven by an activist at the end yeah. of the day. And if yeah. you are an activist, not, not that activism is bad, of course it's not. Um, oh, I sound really fascist saying that. Um, you know, it's not that activism is bad, it's just that you do have an inherent bias for what you're talking, you know, in regards know you to you know, being an activist for. Yeah, sure. So, like, when, when am I like, I'm a science nerd, I'm a research nerd, like, I don't really see any validity to any of this. Like, don't get me wrong, I could see that, yeah, just try and eat more fruit, more vegetables. Mm. Cool. Follow something like the Mediterranean diet if you want to. Cool. But I think it's very, I, I think it's gatekeeping, you know, to basically say, no, no, eliminate these foods from your diet. It's and, quite, you a, know, quite a divisive term as well, isn't it? Decolonize yeah. your diet. It is very divisive. And in regards to removing meat from, from a diet like depending on like what we're kind of talking about when we talk about indigenous yeah. like now I do believe that in this article they are talking about like you know Native American yeah but I mean like got to be careful with articles like this because straight away you're you're just throwing out a term saying decolonize your diet okay in the context of only for Native American mm. or are we talking about you know the Mazi tribe in in Africa or you know it's are we talking about you know the natives are the aborigines like who who are we actually talking about because you know if you're going to decolonize it's going to be subjective to where you are and even then what why yeah why uh, the the reason i can say why if i play devil's advocate if they if it's they're talking about driven. it if they're talking about it from a approach of saying look because we said before a whole food plant-based diet it's not strictly but if your diet is surrounded with whole food plant-based it does offer some health benefits it does lead to making better food choice. So if that's the sort of path you're going down, if you if you decide to follow a little bit of this decolonized diet thing, fair enough, it, yeah. you know, it, it could help you out. But then why do we have to gatekeep it? Yeah, why do you have to gatekeep it with a title? Why do you have to say that you're you're partaking in the decolonization of your diet? You are essentially just having more whole food, plant-based um, choices. You don't need to... And if you're eating local, you're eating local. That's not... A, you don't have to gatekeep it. But the problem is, yeah. Tom, is that people, as we said about before with diets people are now getting to the point where they're allowing diets to become their identity like do you remember Rini McGregor we had on dietitian yes and she spoke about how one of the things she hates when people in their bios have the diet they follow their tribe yeah she says almost like a statement saying look you're telling me now that that's your identity 
You've let That's it, why you've inherent let, bi- you've, bias, you've let, yeah. You've let your food choices become your identity. What you decide to eat is obviously for whatever reason, you know, we can go, obviously we go in depth for that, we're not going to, but if you let it become your identity, your personality, that's when you start to run into a bit more problems. It starts to affect your relationship with food almost and forgetting what food's for. Like we spoke about four, I think when we spoke with Jay um, from Science by Jay about the Mediterranean diet, they look at food as a social, friendly, family thing. It's there. It's mm. it's part of their culture. So it's, it's exciting, but they they don't label it as that. Like if you go to the Mediterranean, they don't go, "Oh, we're on a Mediterranean diet." They're just eating the foods they eat. Um, but then people in the UK, for example, say, "Oh, I'm on the Mediterranean diet." It's like you you, you you're not if you're if you're allowing that to become your thingy. If you're eating foods from there, it doesn't mean you're necessarily on there. You're not doing the same because for them, it's obviously a social experience. You're just eating the foods they're eating. Yeah, Do you get what I'm trying to say. It's like you shouldn't label yourself like, "Oh, I'm on the Mediterranean diet. I am. I'm super healthy. It's the best diet out there." It's like, well, no, no. <laughs> like you've decided to eat more fish. You've decided to eat more. You know, um, I'm just trying oils. to be more Mediterranean. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I'm on the Mediterranean diet. I'm just trying to be more Mediterranean. You see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's Ricky Gervais, right? Yeah, exactly. It's how you it's how you word it. Yeah, how you word it. But do you know what I mean? Is that people are allowing it's affecting their relationship with food? I think when you start to gatekeep diets yeah. or label diets. Not only that, but like we've already spoken about how like there's various barriers you can have to eat nutritiously, and I think like um, to say decolonize your diet if you're in a position where you realistically can't do that. Yeah, I think that's kind of guilt tripping. Yeah. You're not eating local. You're not supporting your local farm. Oh, you're a yeah. fucking monster. Yeah. Oh, you're pro coloniser are you? Yeah, yeah. You support the British Empire. Oh, God. You love you love slaves. Jesus. Like, it just keeps spiralling, won't it? Yeah. I mean? <laughs> when some people aren't in a position where they can just up and change their diet like that. No. So, yeah, I, I, do, I do feel funny about using that term. I think you're right, and you. I reckon you said they piggybacked. They've realised that they, there was a term kicking around, so they've gone. You know what? We'll we'll basically get something that's kind of like the paleo diet. Basically, we're telling people to eat more local and have whole foods, but we'll we'll put a buzzword in front of it. And yeah, it comes to, as I said, I think I mentioned this before. No, people like to be in packs, don't they? Pack mentality. If they have this little diet, they feel like a little group, don't they? A little little club, little little diet club, and that's mm-hmm. where the problem. That's where the problem comes in. That's where the shame comes in. And we spoke about for shame. If we go all the way back around again, shame does not help. Don't get me wrong. Like, there, there can be activism in food. As I, as I mentioned in, the, in an earlier topic, like, you know, f- food can be politically driven. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when it's used in a sense to shame people instead, you know, I, I, I'm a bit, hmm, yeah. There's nothing like there's nothing inherently wrong saying like oh yeah try and uh, add these things to your diet and try and take these things out of your diet but uh, you know try and have less of this and more of this I think that's fine but I just don't think it has to be inherently wrapped with guilt behind yeah. it. That's like us getting rid of any food from Scandinavia and saying you support you support you support the invasion of the British coasts by the Vikings because you're eating that you are a monster. You know, you know? <laughs> I mean. I'm still waiting for my reparations from Rome. From Rome? Oh, God, yeah. we're about that far, are we? But at the same time, I am a collaborator because Mate, they, I, they, they, they I did have a bowl of pasta. Well, I had a pasta the other night, you see. Oh, oh did you? Oh, okay. Yeah. So you support the Roman Empire? So you support the Roman Empire, is what you're telling me? I mean, look, I don't want to say I support the Roman Empire. Well, it sounds like I it. do own it Gladiator on Blu-ray. Oh, you're joking. You own Gladiator? I do. I do. I own Sandals. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that I, I enjoy Roman culture, but I do think that the HBO Rome TV series was actually superior to Game of Thrones. 
Yeah, they got cut short there, didn't it? I don't want to say, Bill, that I'm a Roman collaborator. Oh, no. However, I do have a marble plaque with SPQR on it. Oh, my guys, we are getting hot off the press intel that Tom is, in fact, a Roman spy. I don't want to say I support the Legion, but I do, in fact, have the Trevi Fountain sculpture in palm-sized form. Oh, but Yeah, my. other than that, uh, Rome, well, I can't stand the Roman Empire. <laughs> I do, in fact, have a, tent, a, a, a tattoo on my chest of the eagle, Aquila. No, I'm joking. And on that note... Can't afford that. Oh, for fuck's sake. What the fuck? Was that an advert? Yeah, I'm trying to ruin a moment. Oh, I'll do that again. Ruin a moment. Hold on. I tell you what, don't play Royal Britannia. Play the Italian national anthem, whatever it is. That'd be better. You you, you fucked it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and on that note... Salutes. Tom's double barrel saluted. Are you fucking lyric? I thought there's lyrics this song. There's no lyrics to this. There is lyrics in there. I think the national anthem should actually be changed to Baggy Trousers by Madness. Anyway. <laughs> Rule Britannia. Um... <laughs> Look what I've got. Don't know who he is, but uh, Big Who's Keith. That? <laughs> 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 is that a guitar? Uh, I believe it is. Mate, do you see all the Crusaders? The blokes dressed up as Crusaders, cutting around a guitar. <laughs> they, they got fucking. They got a bit, a bit of trouble. They got a spot above it, didn't they? Mate, that is probably dodgy, Ooh, though, isn't Daniel, it? Eh? That is probably dodgy, though, isn't it? Like going into an like a country like that with like Christian Crusader. Listen, an attempt was made to recolonise. <laughs> Okay, oh, I feel we should end the, end the episode. <laughs> it's, a of, it's a bit of a... Rapidly. <laughs> right, guys, that's all, that all the news this week. Uh, remember, Christmas special is coming very soon and we want you guys to get involved as much as possible. So go over to Instagram, ch- at chatshitgetfitpodcast, link down below, or send us an email with some Q&A questions, anything you want. Preferably not around the British Empire, um, but yeah, <laughs> anything you want. And we'll, uh, and we'll answer it. Decolonise CrossFit. <laughs> right. <laughs> why I, I don't know I, I just feel like I need to end it on something like that <laughs> it's been a pleasure as always and we will see you next week same time same place for some more fitness news Royal Britannia bye <laughs> what was that <laughs> I say Royal Britannia like the most powerful thing and you go bye already getting complaints on YouTube <laughs> yeah we've got time for swearing haven't we can you we should probably end the episode now <laughs>